Hello, this is Danielle Rose, Catholic singer and music missionary, found at www.daniellerose.com. And I'm wondering if you've been taking your Catholic vitamins. Join Deacon Tom and the lovely D and get just the right nutrients for your face from A to Z. Welcome to Catholic Vitamins, your dose of spiritual supplements from A to Z. Catholic Vitamins, specially formulated to help you achieve optimum spiritual health. It's time to energize your faith, forget what lies behind, and press on toward the goal. We've already won. Here are your hosts for Catholic Vitamins, Deacon Tom Fox and his lovely wife, Dee. Well, hello, everyone, and hi, Dee. Hi, Tom. Welcome. Deacon Tom. Well, please, just kiss my ring. (laughs) Gosh. Hello, everyone. Could you, you like, wipe this out? Catholic Vitamins (laughs) is on the air and on the web, on the World Wide Web. Heaven forbid. This is a Catholic vitamin Q for Quest, and it's our second time using this vitamin. First time was a long time ago. It was. As a matter of fact, the guest that we're going to have was from a long time ago. Right. We are very, very blessed to have Bishop James Conley as a return guest. This is from our second ever, no, third ever Catholic vitamins um, we did conversion with the bishop. You remember did. that? I, we did. It was like our third. Yeah. Yeah, you just said it, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about the bishop in a few moments. This is uh, Prattle, show number... 464. Somebody, uh, Anthony Lillis, whose name we might mention later on, Dr. Anthony Lillis, said to me, you're still doing Catholic vitamins. <laughs> he saluted us for our faithfulness to evangelization. Oh, thank you, Anthony. And uh, that's uh, 400 and what? 64 for the World Wide Web. And on our, <clears throat> our local Catholic radio station, KPIH 98.9. It's episode 112. So um, we start off with Prattle. Prattle is usually oriented towards a little bit about what's going on in our life. Sometimes it's purely social that we talk about. Sometimes it's faith-oriented. We'll start off talking about me doing a saliva test for COVID-19. Yesterday, they had... You didn't do this because you felt like you had something. You just did it. Well, it was offered for free by the Arizona Department of Health and something or other, .gov, and uh, it was very well organized. They held it at the local um, church, what... LDS, the LDS Church. It was very well organized. You One right beside the hospital? Yes. You stayed in the car, and they gave you a straw and a little plastic tube with a, a screw top on the on the top of it, and uh, you had to go and expectorate clear saliva. I couldn't eat or drink anything for a half an hour before, and I had been exercising, so that wasn't a problem. And I filled up the little tube and uh, was directed to move forward in my car to the exit station where they scanned my paperwork. So they had my name and date of birth and address and email address. And then they scanned the little plastic tube that had my saliva to tie it to my records. And they said within 
three or four days, I would hear from them. So God willing, I will be COVID-free, but just to be sure, I wouldn't have the test. Maybe I'll keep my eye out for a testing site sometime soon and do the same thing. So we were talking about Anthony Lillis, Dr. Anthony Lillis. He's the uh, academic dean for the uh, seminary in Menlo Park, uh, St. Patrick's Seminary in Menlo Park, California. And he is a a previous guest on Catholic Vitamins. He's also a family friend. Coincidentally, we're talking about Bishop Conley being our third guest when we started this podcast so many years ago. Yes. Anthony was our second that's right. Yeah, we knew him from seminary days in Denver when I was studying to be a deacon. He uh, attended every class with me. And I think Dr. Lillis actually spent some time with women sometimes, didn't he? I know he spent time with us. I'm sure he did. I yeah. can't remember clearly right now. It was so long ago, but I'm sure he did. Yeah. He was a great spiritual formator. He's also an academic advisor and uh, someone that I enjoyed talking with for spiritual direction. So uh, long story short, we were going to invite him to come to Arizona to uh, do an Advent retreat, mini Advent retreat in our parish. And because of COVID, that doesn't look like that's going to work. So yeah, because he's uh, diabetic. He's diabetic, so he's got to be careful. Yeah. So we're going to try maybe in Lent after he has the virus shot, we hope. And he he would be one that would have it early, I would guess, because of his weakened medical condition from uh, diabetes. And, uh, dear, do we have anything else in our first segment to just kind of mention before we take a break? Well, it's Saturday. We usually record on Saturdays, and we started our day out by having our usual breakfast up in Pine. Pine, Arizona, at about uh, 6,000 feet up there. And a lovely sunny Saturday morning, and um, we enjoyed our... And because it's the time of year when the temperatures are cooled down just a little bit, we're able to take our dog with us Maggie, and leave her in the car without yeah. the thought of her sweltering. <laughs> Maggie Dog loves going with us oh, in the car. Oh, she because she gets a little breakfast treat, too, when we come out. <laughs> Dear friends, we're going to take our first break. I want to thank uh, Daniel Rose for referring to the lovely D, and then we had our normal canned opening where they refer to our lovely D. So, lovely D, we're going to take our first break, and we'll be back. Lovely piano music with O Come, O Come, Emmanuel was Lori Line. Lori Line. 
And very, and very appropriate for what we're entering here. As we enter Advent, beautiful music from her. We've seen her in concert twice, and we sure endorse her music. Family, friendly, wholesome, um, honoring of uh, Christian t- traditions. Just wonderful. I could go around the house for hours and just have her music playing in the background. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Well, I thought we'd give a little... Um, a little bit of bio information on the bishop before you start your interview. Okay. He was born in 1955 in Kansas City, Missouri. He has one younger sister who's married and has a couple children. He was two years old when his family moved to Colorado, but then they moved back to Kansas when he was eight years old. And he attended public grade school and high school there. Graduated in 1977 from the University of Kansas with a bachelor's degree in English literature. Yeah, that's going to come up in his interview time with us. Yeah, I remember that. While in college, he studied in the University of Kansas Integrated Humanities Program, Uh a well-known classical great books program. I know that's going to come up in the interview. Yeah, for sure. And during his junior year in college, he converted to the Catholic Church. Well, that's why uh, we had him for our third show, uh, Vitamin C for Conversion. This is... um, vitamin Q, and uh, it's quest, sort of relating to the idea that we're all in a, qu- um, in a quest in life. Sorry, having trouble getting that out. And um, it's a good vitamin to take if you're on a quest to uh, listen to conversion stories. Bishop Conley was ill for a period of time. <clears throat> he uh, took a medical leave of absence in December of 2019. Very unusual for a bishop to do that. And part of it was medically in um, diagnosed depression and anxiety. And I think a part of it was caused by chronic insomnia and debilitating... Um, tinnitus. Yeah, tinnitus or tinnitus, however ringing, you say it. Ringing in the ears. Yeah. So his doctors encouraged him to take a leave of absence. He was relieved from the diocese. They had a a visiting bishop take over for a while, and uh, he returned to to his duties. Let's see, in November of uh, November twelfth of two thousand twenty, and so just recently, yeah, just restored to his diocese. So we're very happy that he's back in good health, and he's thankful for all the prayers and support that he got. And uh, he was glad to be able to take away the stigma of mental illness or medical illness that forces someone to take time away from work. So, dear friends, uh, what we're going to do here now is play a little bit of the time from our original show where Dee and I are prattling a little bit, and then we'll enter into the... uh, interview with Bishop Conley, uh, you'll find out what Dee's faith roots were in this introduction to the bishop. So we'll we'll, uh, join you on the other side. So uh, today is about conversion and... uh, you know, Dee, uh, we have done so, we've been blessed. We really have. We're very young in the podcast business, and today I'm so honored with today's interview guest. Folks, normally I wait until we bring the guest up, 
but he is the most reverend James Conley, the auxiliary bishop of Denver. Um, it's our second visit to Colorado on the show. Yeah, it is. We uh, visited with uh, Dr. Anthony Lillis last week when we talked about beauty. Today, uh, we're going to talk with Bishop Conley about conversion. In our first one, we did adoration. We talked with somebody in Michigan. Yeah, next next week, God willing. Ooh, a teaser, a teaser. (laughs) Uh, Next week. Go ahead. We're going to go to the state of Washington. Well, Dee, um, you've heard me say this before. I've been sort of a student of conversion stories. If you look at my bookshelf, you would know I've probably read, listened to, or watched well over 100 conversion stories. You're a convert, Dee. You want to say anything about your conversion process? Well, I grew up in the Methodist Church, so I was a Protestant. Um, I actually did not convert until right after our third child was born. We have four children all together. And that was in the 70s. And then I would I I don't know, I think, when I think back now, I think I really didn't come into the church as someone with this deep desire to become Catholic, but maybe more to bring about family unity, which is probably not the right reason. And then after that, I became a fallen away Catholic. Mm. And then I guess mid-90s, I would say I experienced a reversion. And that was probably, had a lot to do with this priest that we met in Florida where we had just moved to. A wonderful Irish priest named uh, Father Pat. We are still in some touch with him. And uh, for the year of the priest, I wrote a letter to Father Pat to thank him for his yes to God and for uh, his yes to the priesthood. And uh, he had a lot to do with both of us, I think. Oh, he did. And every once in a while, we'll get surprised by a phone call from him or, uh, you know, every five or so years, we managed to make a trip down through Florida and and get to visit with him for a little bit. Yeah. The... uh, I was getting ready for the show, and as I sometimes do to try and prepare myself, I googled Catholic conversion stories and found over a million hits on the Internet where I could go look at things related to Catholic conversion. Our good friends at the Catholic Company were the number one site, and I know that they have books and uh, audio uh, facilities, uh, products that you can buy related to Catholic conversion stories, but there were many, many others. Individuals have posted their stories, and um, you and I have watched uh, Dr. Uh, Marcus Grodi. I guess he's not doctor, but Marcus Grodi. On the Coming Home Network yeah, EWTN. Yeah, wonderful program series. With Maybe you can put some of these or list a few of these links in the show notes. Okay, great. Good idea. Amazon.com is listed and a a number of other uh, places to look into the topic of conversion. And the reason that I'm spending the time to talk about this area before we bring up our guest um, is that we find, particularly, I I was just in a meeting with a bunch of priests today, we find uh, such strength 
when we meet with people who have gone through conversion, who have converted to the faith, and know it and love it and practice it, or like you were just talking about, D, people who have reverted to the faith, reversion or reverts, as we sometimes call them, bring a lot of zest and life into the church. I, I can't believe how many people that we run into or I meet and get to talking with them, and I'm thinking that, you know, they're cradle Catholics. And then I find out in conversation that, no, they're converts and haven't haven't been converts maybe that long either. It's, I'm always surprised by that. Well, dear folks, we're going to take a short music break, an interlude as we do, and then we'll have our guest of the day. Well, I am so very honored today uh, to have one of the shepherds of the church as a guest on Catholic Vitamins. Our guest today is the Most Reverend James D. Conley, Auxiliary Bishop of Denver. And today, dear Bishop, we're going to be talking about the subject of conversion and reversion to the faith. I wonder if we could start by welcoming you, and uh, how are things going for you in Denver? Thank you, Deacon Tom. Uh, Very good. I've just finished my first year uh, as a bishop. So I've, the dust has kind of settled, and now I'm uh, sort of into uh, my second year. I've gone from baby bishop status to toddler bishop, so I'm still uh, getting my legs. But uh, it's been great. Everyone's been wonderful. The Archbishop, Archbishop Chaput, has been a wonderful uh, mentor and father to me um, here in Denver, as well as the priests of the archdiocese and the lay faithful that I've uh, come to know. Well, uh, my wife and I lived in Colorado for... Uh nine years, I was ordained to become a deacon uh, by uh, Bishop, Archbishop Chaput, and uh, we have fond memories, many friends, and we were leaving just as you were coming in, but I've heard such wonderful things about you, and again, it is such an honor to have you on the show today. Um, you know, as we record this today, ahead of when this will be produced and put on uh, the internet, it happens today to be the Feast of St. Monica, and tomorrow the Feast of St. Augustine. Monica prayed for how many years? 20 years or more for the conversion of her son. And uh, what a powerful convert he became. And it seems to be something that happens to people who go through conversion or reversion. And I wonder if you could say a little bit about your family of origin and then lead, lead us into your conversion process. Well, uh, it is it is a, a significant time because St. Augustine had a great influence on my conversion to the Catholic faith, and I chose him as my confirmation saint when I was received into the church. Um, I was raised uh, nominally Presbyterian. Um, I say nominally because we really didn't uh, practice the faith that... Um, thoroughly in, in, in the sense of uh, I didn't have much religious formation growing up. We went to church maybe on Christmas and, and Easter. Although my parents were very, um, you know, very uh, good and moral people and believing Christians, it, there was just very little religious formation. Um, so when I <clears throat> began looking at um, the faith in a serious way, um, I was sort of a tabla rasa. I, I was just a blank tablet. 
Um, and, and this happened um, when I was in college is when I first started um, you know, looking into uh, different religions. My, um, I come from, uh, there's two in my family, myself and my sister, uh, a younger sister who's married and has two children. And I grew up in the uh, metropolitan Kansas City area and went to the University of Kansas. And it was there at the University of Kansas that I was blessed to be part of a, a great books program, um, a classics um, program, which was a two-year program for freshmen and sophomores. And uh, the first year we read all pagan authors, Greek and Roman authors, and, and the second year we, we began with Christian authors all the way up to modern time. And it was really through this experience of reading the great books that I was introduced to the great ideas, you know, like truth and goodness and beauty through literature. And um, the motto of the program was, let them be born in wonder. It was a Latin phrase, nas cantur in admiratione, by that famous author Anonymous, and no one knows really it came from. But that was the whole purpose of the professors uh, at the university. There were two English professors and one classics professor who team taught this freshman, sophomore humanities program. It's called the Integrated Humanities Program. And the whole purpose and aim of the program was to just get the students to look up and wonder at the stars and at, uh, at the beauty of, of creation. And, um, the effect that it had on the students was that it, 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 it really led us to, to the truth and to discover these great ideas in literature, but also in, in, in poetry and music and art and architecture and philosophy and theology. And for many of us, like myself, um, uh, we ended up in the Catholic Church. I... Uh... Gosh, there's so many areas to springboard into. I, I have been a student of uh, conversions. I watch the uh, EWTN coming home series often. Um, did you feel that you had some, what can I say, some feeling of um, something missing in your life? Or was it just that something intellectually really clicked when they talked about truth and beauty well I suppose yeah I mean there was I, I didn't realize it but I discovered it in my college undergraduate years that, that I was missing something but I you know I think if you would have asked me in my freshman year you know I was kind of a typical college kid in the 70s sort of happy-go-lucky and um, you know thought that uh, you know you know life was fine I mean I, I didn't really uh, have any 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 inclination that there was much more to life than uh, you know what I was enjoying uh, at the time, but um, soon discovered through you know through this program that there was so much more um, to to life and and um, and to uh, faith. So um, you know it was it was a whole new world that was introduced to me and and. and you know, sometimes I, I tell people, you know, I had, a, I had an intellectual conversion um, because it was mainly from reading and, and being introduced to, you know, these great, these great works. Um, but 
you know, as I look, I reflect on it, uh, you know, 35 years later, um, yes, there was this intellectual component, um, much like, for example, the Oxford movement in the 19th century, you know, the great converts that came out of out of that movement, like John Henry Cardinal Newman, but perhaps even more so, it was um, it was um, an, a, a conversion of the imagination. Because um, it was really the example of other Catholics, students, and the professors, and um, the world that kind of captured my imagination and um, and led me uh, into the Catholic Church. Because, uh, you know, as we studied um, not only the great work, of literature and, and philosophy and theology, but we also had we were introduced to um, music and poetry and and dance and um, for instance at the end of the year we'd always have a huge waltz that we'd order the universe we would um, you know invite the university orchestra and we'd rent out the university ballroom and we'd have this huge um, uh, pattern waltz and we'd have to learn these different waltz dances. And part of that was to introduce the students to manners, you know, and to how to escort a lady out onto the dance floor. And these these great treasures of our Western culture. And all of this sort of combined, um, you know, to um, um, discover um, the truth. And once I kind of looked more specifically into religion and kind of went church hopping and then eventually found the Catholic Church, I discovered in the Catholic Church the fullness of all of these ideas like truth and goodness and beauty and in architecture and art and music and um, and all the other aspects that the church and the richness of the saints and the history of the church and all of that. So Getting back to it, I mean, it was in one sense, yes, it was a, an intellectual conversion, but it was much more than just um, you know, kind of reading my way into the church. There were all these other factors that were at play. Our guest today on Catholic Vitamins is the Most Reverend James D. Conley, Auxiliary Bishop of Denver. Um, we sort of jumped from your conversion to Catholicism, and uh, I know that we have to respect your time, dear Bishop. I, once Catholic, how long was it before you began to think of the priesthood? How did that come about? Well, I, I was received into the church in um, my, my junior year. During halfway through my junior year in college, I was twenty, and this was back in 1975, in December of 75. And then I um, continued in my studies and, and, and graduated in 1977 with a degree in English literature and wasn't really ready to go to graduate school or begin working or teaching and um, so I traveled a bit in Europe um, and then returned and actually began farming with a friend of mine who inherited his grandmother's farm and needed some help. I was kind of a city kid and this was a great opportunity to live out in the country in western Kansas so I moved out there and it was um, during that experience of, of farming, and um, we raised all of our own food and uh, farmed with horses, actually. And it was that experience, that rural life, that I began thinking more and more about uh, my vocation. I mean, I had a girlfriend at the time, and, and 
very good Catholic girl, and, and so I was thinking of marriage. But then the Pope, Pope John Paul II, came to America in 1979, and a bunch of us all went up to Des Moines, Iowa, as he came. It was one of his stops. And really was at that Mass, um, it was a feast of St. Francis of Assisi during harvest, that I thought for the first time, well, maybe God is calling me to be a priest. Um, and once I started praying about that, I mean, it was really happened very quickly. By January, I was in the seminary. Um, so I was 25 when I started seminary. Wow. I might uh, mention, because I think I heard you mention the word beauty three or four times that on a prior show, we've covered the topic of beauty, and that moves a lot of people towards the faith or a stronger practice of the faith. And I want to branch now from your conversion story, which we could still continue to explore, to the topic of reversion to the faith. Um, in my uh, years as a deacon, and I don't want to speak for you, but we see many people who are were away from the church and something happens in their life and they revert to a strong faith practice, a real, maybe even a deeper faith practice than they had before. I have also run into many people who haven't responded to that grace yet. I wonder if you have experienced people who are sort of waiting for a, a new and fresh call, and if you have any words for people who might hear this program any place around the world and... Uh, want to respond to a stronger relationship with Christ? Mm -hmm. Well, um, you know, I, I, some of my friends uh, who were born and raised Catholics um, rediscovered the Catholic faith, I think, through the enthusiasm of uh, converts like myself um, who discover it for the first time. And... Um, I think that kind of new discovery or, or rediscovery of, um, you know, the richness of what the Catholic Church offers uh, has had an effect on a lot of Catholics, uh, reverts, you might call them, I guess. Um, and um, that happens every day, I think. It happens all the time uh, that uh, Catholics come back to come back home, you know, uh, I think it was the Diocese of Phoenix had a wonderful campaign last year called Catholics Come Home. Yes, a great and, program. Uh, great program. And they, they say that they had 90,000 Catholics come back to the sacraments. Uh, and, um, and, and these, these, these uh, short video pieces that they played on television uh, really, I think, focused in on the beauty of the Catholic faith. And I think it had the effect of people, you know, discovering, rediscovering uh, the beauty of the Catholic faith. And I think the liturgy has a, 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 an important part to play there, the beauty of the liturgy. And I think that, and, you know, I think we've gotten through, I came into the church in you know, kind of crazy times with regard to the liturgy. It's a lot of post-conciliar experimentation in the liturgy. And I think we've gotten beyond that. And I think, there's, um, you know, we're, we're rediscovering kind of the tradition of our liturgical heritage, whether it be Latin Gregorian chant or um, you know greater access to the extraordinary form of the Mass, 
or just traditional singing and, and reverence in, in, in worship, and as opposed to you know sort of more the popular popularization of worship. And that I think has drawn a lot of Catholics back because um, it maybe began as nostalgia, but they think back as you know in their, in their childhood days of you know the Latin Mass or the beauty and transcendence of uh, traditional liturgy. Um, they rediscover that, and I think it's the beauty of, of, the, of the liturgy that's drawing people back as well. One of the programs that I'm involved in is uh, another podcast program called uh, Catholic Moments. Uh, the host is Lisa Hendy, and during the month of August, she was featuring the work of Father Robert Barron from, mm-hmm. from Chicago, who's been working on the Catholicism Project, a great invitation as it's being put together for people to look at the beauty and the truth and the breadth of the church. And uh, as we draw to a close, uh, Bishop Connolly, I wonder if you have any thoughts for families uh, or uh, anyone struggling who's been burned out of the faith or had a problem with the church, uh, inviting uh, a movement of their heart. Mm. Well, um, I guess what comes to mind is that, um, you know, oftentimes, and we see this as priests, that people have left the church because of an experience they had with a priest or even with a bishop or some sort of bad experience. And I would just say that, um, you know, the church, uh, in one sense, is not perfect. It's got its human side to it because we're all sinners, you know, priests, bishops, even the pope. And... um, but that's not the church. I mean, the church is much bigger than that. And I would just say that, you know, if, if um, you know, um, appeal to people to take another look um, and to kind of get beyond, let's say, a bad experience that they might have had at some point in time in their life and to look at the church um, again um, and in a new way um, and to realize that the church is much larger and bigger than a priest or a bishop or even the pope it's it's you know it's christ's it's christ's mystical body on earth bishop Connolly, uh, i know that uh, you your link is found on the uh, diocesan website which is www.archden.org are you able to do any other new media outlets for evangelization or contact for example are you on facebook or anything else I'm on Facebook. Um, I don't spend a whole lot of time there, um, and the 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 link on our our uh, our staffs and website is really the main. I mean, a lot of you know my articles and homilies are posted there, and then there's an audio, audio files as well. So that's sort of the main source that I have. I don't have anything other than that. Okay. All right. Well, our guest today on Catholic Vitamins has been the Most Reverend James D. Conley. Auxiliary Bishop of Denver. I wonder, uh, dear Bishop, if we could ask for your blessing as we close out our interview. Absolutely. Through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary and all the angels and saints, may Almighty God bless you and your families, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Once again, uh, our guest has been Bishop James D. Connolly, the Auxiliary for uh, the Denver Archdiocese. Bishop, we thank you so very much. Bless you and bless your ministry. Thank you, Deacon Fox.
great honor to have Bishop James Conley from the uh, Diocese of Lincoln, Nebraska. That interview was conducted with him when he was the auxiliary back in Denver, a wonderful priest and bishop, and uh, what a joy to have had that time with him. We have a special treat, though, related to uh, Bishop Conley. We uh, played a little bit of the music of uh, Mary Had a Baby with Lori Line, and um, we found on the website for the Diocese of Lincoln a talk that Bishop Conley did for an Advent retreat in 2019 on the topic of keeping close to Mary, keeping close to Mary. So here for uh, our uplift as we enter the season of Advent is Bishop James Conley. God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I may never know it in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. I am a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created me for naught. I shall do good. I shall do his work. I shall be an angel of peace, a preacher of truth, in my own place while not intending it, if I do but keep his commandments. Therefore, I will trust him. Whatever I am, I can never be thrown away. If I am sickness, in sickness, my sickness may serve him. In perplexity, my perplexity may serve him. If I am in sorrow, my sorrow may serve him. He does nothing in vain. He knows what he's about. He may take away my friends. He may throw me among strangers. He may make me feel desolate, make my spirit sink, hide my future from me. Still, he knows what he's about. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Some of you may have heard that before. It's, in, it's from St. John Henry Cardinal Newman, who was just recently canonized, or one of our newest saints. But it was a meditation that he wrote about divine providence and our trust in divine providence and relying upon God um, for everything. And really, isn't that the goal of our spiritual lives is to... Um, depend upon God for every moment of every day and to trust him. Jesus, I trust in you, which is what the um, uh, Divine Mercy Chaplet is all about. And so it was wonderful to pray that at the beginning of um, our time of adoration and um, our time of silence, really, because um, we have an extended period of time now before our Lord present in the Blessed Sacrament and to um, ask him uh, to fill our hearts with his mercy um, and his presence, his love, um, and his peace. And so um, this is a special time of our retreat uh, during these hours of adoration this afternoon, beginning at the hour of mercy, which is a a great time to begin. And so I'll just have a very short uh, meditation. Um, my meditations are short, so I apologize. Um, although the priests are happy when I don't speak very much, so. Uh, um, but um, so this will just be uh, just a few thoughts about um, the silence of Mary. 
and her <clears throat> gift to us of that silent trust in the Lord. Um, and there's been a lot written in recent um, years about the importance of silence because it seems like our ward, world gets noisier and noisier and noisier um, with regard to all of the information that comes flooding into us from all the different uh, means of communication, the social media and everything else connected to that. Um, and so it's important for us to, to find time for silence in our lives. Um, and so thank you for coming on this retreat because that's um, a response to God calling you to silence. Um, and I really believe that the fact that we're all here is God's providence, you know, that you could have easily chosen to, to cancel out at the last minute or to do something else, especially during these busy days of Advent. It seems like they're, they're very busy. Like I mentioned in my column that, you know, we need to kind of step aside. And this is one of the best ways to step aside is by taking a weekend uh, to be with the Lord and to um, be in silence and to um, avail ourselves of the graces he wants to give us. And Mary can teach us about silence, um, in particular at the um, Annunciation and at the foot of the cross and at Pentecost. Her silence at the Annunciation. There's a kind of silence that is removed from a situation emotionally not present to the reality in front of it. But this was not the kind of silence that Mary, the daughter of Zion, experienced at the Annunciation when the angel appeared to her in silence. Instead, her silence was full of grace. That is, it participates in the life of God, in his truth, and in his love. But this silence that received the message of an angel was not purely passive either. It was an active kind of silence, confident, tuned in, and generously ready to render a response to whatever comes at the hand of God. And here is the standard against which the silence of Christian prayer should measure itself, the kind of silence that we should try to cultivate in our own lives the recollection of the heart that yearns the divine presence and is resolved to let go of every earthly dream that distracts from the Father's dream for each one of us and for humanity. And it's a relational silence, a silence that stands in relation to the other, to God and his ways and a silence that expects to be drawn into God, which is holiness and his merciful love. Secondly, her silence, Mary's silence at the cross. Her silence is, again, innately relational, entirely attuned to the slightest movements of the heart of her son. Thus, everything he suffered... She suffered in silent solidarity. This empathetic silence renders one's heart vulnerable to be pierced by the misery of another 
as she suffered at the foot of the cross. So a sword pierced her heart too. And this silence was born in the temple at the words of Simeon. And he said, a sword will pierce your heart. And it culminates in the destruction of the temple of Christ's own body at the crucifixion. The deepest secrets are laid bare in silence. The truth about who we are before God, where we really stand, resounds in this silence. In all of this manifestation of truth, there is something symphonic as well. For the strands of human evil, misery, and every suffering are taken up by a higher order of music and made to blend with the harmonies of divine mercy, hitherto unknown and completely hidden from creation before the coming of Christ. No one has ever listened to this music as intently and profoundly as Mary heard it. Her silence has completely received it and is ready to give birth to it in the souls of others who have the courage to listen to her and to follow her son. As it is before the cross, the same silence stands before our hearts, ready to help us hear the same music anew, as if for the first time. That great canticle wordlessly cried out in the last life breath of the word made flesh. And finally, her silence at Pentecost. We know that Mary was present with the apostles in the upper room, praying and vigilant for Christ's promise of the Holy Spirit. And we know that his slightest desire was her desire. And since the gift of the Holy Spirit was his desire, she was in the midst of the church praying for this gift to be given and received. Here, her silence is a silence of intercession, of petitionary prayer, a prayer that obtains what it seeks. The petition is always asked for just at the right time and just for the right thing. So, too, she prays for us. And when we enter into her silence, we, too, are able to pray. Too often, we do not take petitionary prayer seriously. We have doubts about whether... It actually accomplishes what we ask. Yet the Lord has made our humble prayer a vital part of his divine plan. He works in order, in the order of freedom and within the bounds of the way the world is ordered in human reason. A petition, if offered in faith, with right intention, orders its object to God. And the Father works within this order to bring about his purposes so that there are some graces when only received when only received when we ask for them and Mary is the mother of all graces in some sense every grace comes through her intercession that's why it was so wonderful that we reconsecrated ourselves to Mary this morning she is the mother of all graces the order to reality that her reason brings before the Lord. To be drawn into her silence is to be drawn into this ordering of things until one's very life becomes the cry of the heart of the Father. It is this cry that makes space for God to lavish our lives with his blessing. And the whole church 
with the new outpourings of the Holy Spirit as at Pentecost. So at the Annunciation and at the foot of the cross and at Pentecost, Mary can teach us how to be silent before these great mysteries of God. And as we spend this time in quiet adoration, we ask the Lord uh, to open our hearts as he opened hers uh, to the great love and mercy and grace he wants to give us. While in prayer the other day, I remembered an old friend. We worked together for several years and shared an office. Hi, this is Tony Agnesi. My friend was an atheist and a struggling alcoholic. In one of several attempts to overcome his alcohol addiction, he placed a 3 by 5 card on our shared bulletin board with the words, That was yesterday. Those three words have stayed with me for close to 40 years. Since then, I have posted them in every office that I've worked in. And like my friend, we all have skeletons in our closet, sins that we're ashamed of, and people that we have hurt. There's the young man who hurt his back on a job, and the pain meds helped until the prescription ran out, and then somehow he got hooked on heroin. But that was yesterday. Or the woman that had an abortion at age 16 and has suffered not only the mental and physical pain, but the sorrow and shame she feels continuously. But that was yesterday. What about the husband and father of four who cheated on his wife and has alienated both a loving spouse and his own children? But that was yesterday. And then there's the college student who has immersed himself in pornography since he left his parents' home for school to the point of addiction. But that was yesterday. Or the high school girl who has constantly made fun of a fellow student with a weight problem, teasing her and bullying her to the point of suicide. But that was yesterday. The pain they all feel must be similar to the pain our Lord suffered on the cross. And the pain his mother and the apostles felt watching him die a terrible death. But you see, the story didn't end there. That was Friday, and three days later, on the first Easter morning, Christ rose from the dead. The apostles' fears were allayed, their sins, like ours, forgiven, taken to the cross by our Savior. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, our faith would have no meaning and our sins would still be with us. My friend found sobriety and became a Catholic on an Easter Sunday over 30 years ago. He turned his life around, a metanoia. He quit drinking, found Jesus, and with it he found sobriety, forgiveness, and salvation. We lost my friend several years ago, but his remaining years were his happiest. And the people I mentioned can do that, too. This week, we celebrated Easter Sunday, the day of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. He died for our sins, all of them. No sin is too big or too terrible that it can't be forgiven. He sacrificed once for all. Today, why not consider committing your life to Christ? 
Put behind you your yesterdays. Reach out for the forgiveness and salvation that Jesus offers today. And enjoy the new life you will find tomorrow. Today is the perfect day, a perfect first day for the rest of your life. You too can do it. You too can say, that was yesterday. This is Tony Agnesi. Dear friend Tony Agnesi, we are uh, pleased to play the best of Tony Agnesi, uh, five minutes with Tony type segments. And uh, as you heard, this was a little bit oriented to Easter, but I love the theme that was yesterday. And uh, we hope to bring Tony Agnesi back to Catholic Vitamins often, almost every episode. Maggie, what kind of noise are you making down there? I follow his daily inspirations on Facebook. I love those. Yeah, he does. He does I even job. share some once in a while. And I hope to have him back in our community, but that's after COVID, I guess. Right. So we're going to start Advent. Yes, we are. And uh, I just wanted to say that uh, there are some things that folks can consider doing for Advent, and we're going to invite you to think about what you're going to do for well, Advent. One of the things you're going to do? Yes, of course. I'm going to do uh, a consecration to St. Joseph once again. I've done it once before, just as we've done a consecration to the Blessed Virgin Mary. I've done one to St. Joseph, Father Don Calloway's book, and I'm going to do it again, ending on Holy Family Sunday, which is the first Sunday after Christmas. You know that Christmas happens on a Friday this year. Did you know that yet? I can't even look it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I didn't it comes even look, on a Friday. Yeah. And so the Sunday following oh, okay. is Holy Family Sunday, and that's when my consecration to St. Joseph will be complete. You know, during Advent and, and Lent, I always look for some extra meditations that I can use during that period, and I find a lot of them online, and then it'll, they'll like come into my inbox every day, so that helps me stay with it. Have you signed up for some? I've signed up for a few. I've already signed up for, I think, Relevant Radio. Uh-huh, I did that one as well. Uh, and Chris Stefanik with Real Life Catholic, he's yeah. offering something. Matthew Kelly at Dynamic Catholic, he's offering something. I think I've already signed up for his. So you're going to be in good shape, almost holy shape by uh, Christmas. As long too. as I pay attention to him every day. <laughs> And do what they suggest. <laughs> and dear friends, uh, uh, wherever you are hearing this, we encourage you to consider perhaps an extra daily Mass. If you're not going to daily Mass, perhaps a, uh, a, uh, a visit to church for adoration or time spent with Jesus. We encourage confession. And so uh, we want to prepare for the coming of the Christ child. And we have some time yet as we're only entering into Advent, as we put this show together, it'll be a week before we start that. So I have one more uh, plug to give for this book giveaway that we've been doing during November. This is History's Queen, Exploring Mary's Pivotal Role from Age to Age, and it was written by Mike Aquilina and published by uh, what's it, Ave Maria Press. Right. Well, we're going to have to wrap up the show here, D. Send an email to catholicvitamins at gmail.com. And thank you for listening to this episode of Catholic Vitamins with Bishop James Conley. Well, that's a wrap, dear. Bye.
Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And we'll see you next time on Catholic Vitamins. Hello, this is author and speaker Christine Watkins. I would love for you to check out my newest book endorsed by Father Don Calloway called Of Men and Mary, How Six Men Won the Greatest Battle of Their Lives. These stories are literally bringing people back to the Catholic faith. The book is available at www.queenofpeacemedia.com. Thanks for listening to and telling others about the Catholic Vitamins Podcast with Deacon Tom and Dee.